1 Kings chapter 2. The nation Israel, well, they're in transition. Uh, King David has been on the throne for about 40 years, and he's turned over the kingdom to Solomon. If you remember last week, uh, a guy by the name of Adoniah, which was David's fourth son, he's Solomon's older brother, he decided he wanted to be king of Israel, and he gathered, oh, I think it was about 50 people unto himself, and he got himself a chariot, and he sent people out before him. And he decided that he was going to, he wanted to try to get all the people to, to, to follow him so he could be king. And Joab, the, the commander of, uh, of, of uh, David's army, went with him. And, and, uh, and the priest, uh, uh, I can't think of his name, Abathar, the priest, went with him. And uh, so what took place was this sort of uh, siege, if you will, on the, on the throne of Israel. And then Bathsheba found out about it. And she went into David and David came out and publicly proclaimed Solomon to be king. We covered all that last week, and now we're going to see this week in chapter 2, as uh, Solomon is taking over, uh, David's going to pass on, but before he, he dies, before he goes to be with the Lord, what we're going to see is he's going to give Solomon some final advice, some words of wisdom, if you will, and we'll be able to see a little bit about David and Solomon's lives within that. So if you'll pick up with me in chapter 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep charge of the Lord your God. To keep the charge of the Lord your God. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul. He said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is David's final words of wisdom. It's given uh, much more detail in First Chronicles chapter 28 and 29, especially as it pertains to building of the temple. Solomon is going to be commanded by David to build the temple to the Lord. But notice he tells David, or David tells Solomon three things there. First, he says, be strong. David, I want you, to, or Solomon, I want you to be strong. Be strong. And, you know, you'd think that he already would be strong. He's already on the throne of, of the nation of Israel. But David's encouraging him. He says, be strong. And that word there, it means to be or to grow firm. It might say, be courageous. It means to, to I want you to grow strong, continue getting stronger. You know, I think David understood some of the challenges that Solomon was going to face. You know, David understood that, you know, David was a man of war. He was a man who had spent time in the wilderness. He'd fought and, and successfully defeated giants. He, he, he knew what, what battle was, but Solomon wasn't raised that way. Mm -hmm. Solomon was raised more of in a palace. He was raised more, you know, we're going to see that he's very close to his mom. He actually puts a throne right next to his at his right hand, and it's for his mother Bathsheba to sit on, almost as if she's the queen of Israel, although she's not called that. But he, he's, he's very close to her, and, you know, perhaps David sensed some weakness here. Perhaps he's, he's, he sensed a little bit of weakness in Solomon's life. Whatever it is, his final words to him are, is, be strong, Solomon, be strong. And then he says, to, he says something I think is really interesting. He says, and prove yourself a man. Prove yourself a man. And as I think about that, men aren't men just because they come of age. Men are men when they act like a man. So David's telling Solomon, Solomon, it's time for you to act like a man. It's time for you to make decisions like a man. It's time for you to lead like a man. It's time for you, you're on the throne of Israel, Solomon. It's time to prove yourself a man. It's time to step up, make good decisions, be a man, especially a man of God, because that's the third thing he says to him. He says, keep the charge 
of God. And this is probably the most important thing he says to him. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways, keep his statutes, keep his commands, his judgments, his testimonies. And he says, if you'll do these things, Solomon, if you'll, if you'll follow God, if you'll, if you'll listen to what God says, you walk, God's going to bless you, Solomon. God's going to bless you. There's a, there's a specific promise to David's family in this. Did you catch it? If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. There's a promise there to him. And what a cool promise it is. It, it's, it's actually kind of rather an amazing promise, actually. Think about it. No matter what the Babylonians do, no matter, no matter what the Assyrians do, no matter what the Egyptians do, if they follow God, if they're obedient to the Lord, it doesn't matter. They will not lack a man of David's family on the throne of Israel. That's quite a promise. If you'll follow me, I will keep you ruling in power. I will keep you exactly where I've called you to be. Listen, as long as David's sons were obedient, as long as they followed God with their heart and with their soul, as long as they did that, God would establish their kingdom and he would take care of all the rest. I think sometimes we get sidestepped on that. I, get, I think sometimes we look and go, wow, that'd be kind of cool, Rob. That's a cool promise for him. But, but what about us? Do we have a promise like that from God? Is there a promise to us? I mean, David's, that, that's a really, you know, if, if they just follow God, God's going to take care of everything. Well, I seem to recall Jesus making a promise like that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said this, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, Jesus made a similar promise to us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the other stuff will be added to you. you know, and as I think about that, it kind of comes at a good time in my life actually because I think sometimes we get so focused on everything else, the first thing we end up neglecting is the Lord, isn't it? When you're busy, isn't it easy to neglect your morning devotions? Isn't it easy to miss your prayer time with the Lord? Isn't it easy to, to well, I don't have time to pray with my wife today because I have to go somewhere. I, it's the first thing we cut out and we usually think, well, God will understand. But he says, seek me first. Seek me first and I'll take care of all the rest. You guys know there's a hurricane off the coast of Florida, right? It's a category four hurricane and we go, boy, I'm glad we live in Maryland. Me too, I used to live in Florida and I've done, I've been through the hurricane thing, but the problem is I still own a business in Florida. The problem is I own a car wash in St. Augustine, Florida that's on the coast that's going to get meet that hurricane sometime tomorrow evening. What can I do about it? Nothing. I can't worry about it. I can't, there's nothing. I can't go down there and fix it. Pray the hurricane goes east, okay? We can do that. I pray that for me. Pray it goes east. Don't, don't mess up the car wash. I, that's okay. Pray that. But really, can I change it? Can I change God's path for that hurricane? There's no way I can change that. But could I sit here and worry? I found myself worrying about it today. I did. I found myself kind of consumed by it. I found myself running numbers. You know, all right, well, we have a 5% hurricane deductible, and this happens, and that happens, and, and then what's this going to cost, and that. And I, and I found myself, I went down this rabbit trail for about 20 minutes, maybe a half an hour, of, of, of running numbers and thinking, what's going to happen with all this? And then I realized, you know what? It's in God's hands. I don't even know if it's going to come to where the car washes. It might go someplace completely different. I shouldn't be worrying about it. And then I realized, you know what? I'm wasting time from my Bible study thinking about the hurricane. Seek first the kingdom of God. Mm 
Now, if that happens in my life, I'm pretty sure it happens in your life too. You know, so as I was studying and even preparing for this today, just this afternoon, I realized, man, that's an easy thing to say, seek first the kingdom of God. But it's a hard thing to do because everything gets in the way of that, doesn't it? Our families, our kids, our jobs, everything. I want to be more committed to seeking first, and I hope that you do too. I hopefully will see this tonight that says, you know what, there is a promise like that. I don't have to be a worrier. Any worriers in here? Anybody that just worry about everything, even stuff you can't change? And if you're not worrying about something, you're going to find something else to worry about? You're just a worrier? Stop. Worrying is sin. It's, it is sin. Worrying is sin. It's seek first the kingdom of God, and all the stuff will take care of itself. Seek first the Lord. Let him handle it all. He'll take care of it. It's, that's what the scripture says. Now David goes on to give Solomon some advice about some of the people that were in the kingdom with him. He says in verse 5, Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and he put blood, the blood of war on his belt and that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. That's kind of like a biblical way of saying, take him out. You know? Who was Joab? Joab was David's general, remember? And we talked about Joab at different times in depth, but he was very loyal to David. You know, he had an amazing, and he would do things that were you know, immoral to help David, but he wasn't real obedient to David. But it was, it was kind of in a weird way. He always did what he thought was best for David, as though it seemed. So he's, in, in one way, he's this courageous warrior that you, that you want to hail as a, as a great warrior. In another way, you look and go, man, your life's messed up, Joab. You're not really listening. You're not really doing uh, what David tells you to do. So it's just kind of, it goes back and forth. And, and David reminds uh, Solomon here, listen, he's got the blood of two innocent people on his, on his, on his hands. For Joab was guilty of killing Abner. Abner was Saul's general. Uh, he was in, in, in David's army as well. Amasa, he also killed Amasa. Amasa was the one who replaced Joab at one point. Joab killed him and took his position back. So he wasn't real, he's just a strange guy. He's just an interestingly strange guy. But here's the problem. Da David was growing older. Uh, Adoniah decides he's going to try to set himself up with king. And Joab joins forces with Adoniah which is David's other son, one of his other sons. So David, I think, in his wisdom realizes, you know what, Joab's going to be a problem for you, Solomon. He's going to be a problem. You're taking over a kingdom. You're going to have to get rid of some of these people. He may have been loyal to me, but it's clear he's not going to be loyal to you. So he's kind of given him some advice there. He knew that he was going to be a problem. And uh, I don't know, I was kind of looking for some application in that. And, and what I kind of came up with and what I was thinking about is, you know, did you, do you know that sometimes in life you, you come across either somebody or something or a situation and you know it's going to be a problem and you, and you want to put it off, don't you? Because none of us like to deal with problems, do we? We don't want to deal face-to-face -face with issues. We, don't want to, we, we just want them to go away. You know, we just, if we cover our eyes, we'll pretend they're not there. But, but David's encouraging Solomon to be strong and to prove himself a man. And one of the ways that he does that is he confronts the problem head-on. He does what he has to do as he's taking over the nation Israel. He's taking over the kingdom. And David knows that Joab's going to be a problem for Solomon. Then in verse 7 he says, But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite. 
Let them be among those who eat at your table, for so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Now, Brazilii was an elderly man. Remember when uh, Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom, David was forced to flee Jerusalem and all his men. Brazilii met David and all his men as they crossed over the Jordan River, and he gave them food. He gave them supplies, and you know, he, he, he was really kind to them. And as, as Ab, David's fleeing from Absalom, they got the things they needed. And then when David came back to Jerusalem, Brazilii met him again, and, Braz- and David said to Brazilii, Brazilii, hey, I want you to come eat at the king's table. I want you to come, you know, live out the rest of your years with me and with my family. And remember what Brazilii said? He laughed. I'm too old for that. I, I'm, I, David, I, I got everything I need right here. I don't want to leave my house. I'm too old. Take my kids. Take my sons. Let them be blessed for my action. And David did. David took him. And, and now as he's on his deathbed, he's reminding Solomon, hey, they're our friends. They supported me when I was down. And we're going to keep supporting them. And, you know, when it comes to eating at the king's table, one commentator said this. He said, to eat at the king's table was equivalent to having a pension. The beneficiary receiving a regular royal allowance of food and clothing with the house and land to support him and his family. So it was a big deal. You know, he was, they were really blessed. And they were basically giving him land, giving him a house, giving him everything they needed to, to thrive in, in their little culture and their society there. And, and David said to Solomon, hey, don't forget about them. They're our friends. They took care of us, so we're going to take care of them. And then he says in verse 8, And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim, but he came down to meet me at the Jordan. I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Again, it's a nice biblical way of saying, take him out. Who was Shimei? Shimei was a relative of King Saul, one of the distant relatives. And he was one who would possibly in the future claim to have a right to the throne because he came from King Saul. King Saul was the first, uh, first king of the nation Israel. Now remember what happened is Absalom had taken over Jerusalem, David was fleeing, and here comes Shimei out at David. He comes out and he's cursing David, and that's recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 16. He's coming out, he's yelling at David, he's calling David names. He says, you bloodthirsty rogue. He said, the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul. And he's, he's really kind of kind of antagonizing, he's throwing stones at David and, and David's men. And finally one of David's men looks up and says, can I just go take off his head? Can I, can I just go kill him? And David says, no. No, the Lord has allowed this this day. Perhaps I can learn something from this. Perhaps the Lord is going to teach me something from this. Well, then what happened is after Absalom died, David is coming back into Jerusalem. And guess who's there? Shimei. Shimei's there. And guess what Shimei's like? You know, David, I, I really didn't mean all that stuff I said. I really didn't mean that whole, yet. Yeah, no, I, did, I didn't mean the bloodthirsty rogue comment. No, I'm sorry I threw the stones at you. And David said to him, I'm not going to kill you with the sword. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to show you mercy. So now he tells his son Solomon. What does he tell his son Solomon? I swore by the Lord saying I would not put him to death. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless. In other words, you hold him accountable for what he's done. You hold him accountable. But in a sense, he's also saying, listen, he has, he's a person who has a claim to the throne of Israel. You need to make sure you take care of him too. Otherwise, he's going to come against you someday the same way he came against me. 
He's proven it in the past, and there's no doubt that he would do it again. It was right for David to keep his vow, and he did. He never killed him. He never, he never, he never took his life. But it was also right for him to make sure Shimei received justice without David breaking his vow. You see, the justice and the judgment for what he did was coming. It just didn't come by the hand of David. It would come by the hand of Saul. I'm sorry, by Solomon. Verse 10. So David rested with his fathers. He was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father, King, father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. This is what was said about David's reign. He was a shepherd, a soldier, an outlaw, a king, a fugitive, a sinner, a saint, a poet. His experiences were the writing of God on his life, making him into a man after God's own heart. Alan Redpath said that. Adam Clark said it this way. In general, he lived well, and, in, and it is most evident that he died well as a king, as a general, a poet, a father, and a friend. He had a few equals and had, had no superior from his own time to the present day. He's still the greatest king of Israel that Israel has ever seen. But notice it says Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingdom was firmly established. I love it when the promises of God come true in the Bible. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says this, and it's speaking about to David. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Certainly there's a near fulfillment of that promise in Solomon. Solomon would be the one to build the temple, but the far fulfillment, the true fulfillment, the complete fulfillment would be in Jesus Christ coming through the line of David. It was ultimately fulfilled in Christ, but it had this partial fulfillment in King Solomon as Solomon was through the line of David. Notice the kingdom is firmly established, firmly established. How is it firmly established? The Lord had firmly established it in him. It wasn't David. It wasn't David's experience. It wasn't his, you know, his wisdom, his knowledge, his, his, the fact that he was a great warrior. The Lord had established it just as he said that he would. Now, verse 13 now, Adoniah, remember who he is? He's the one that last week came against David, got the 50 guys together, and he was going to make himself king. So Adoniah, the son of Haggith, comes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she says, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. And he said, you know that, you know, you know that the kingdom was mine. And all Israel had set their expectations on me, that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. I want you to notice Solomon, or, uh, Adonai's attitude there. I'm getting names all mixed up tonight, aren't I? Notice his attitude there. You know that the kingdom was mine. Who thought the kingdom was his? He did. He was the only one that thought it was his. Everybody else knew it was it belonged to Solomon because it had already been told to Solomon and it had already been publicly proclaimed by David that it was Solomon's. He thought it was his. Notice what he says. And all Israel had set their expectations on... Well, he had 50 guys with them. That wasn't all Israel. But it's amazing when you're off on your own agenda how you want to justify it, right? It's amazing when you step out and you want to do something against the will of the Lord, which he knew that he was doing. And, but I had all Israel with me. It belonged to me. All of Israel was following me. I don't know who was giving him his political advice, but they were wrong. 
He only had 50 people, and he had to probably pay them to be out there. Remember what happened? What's that noise going over there in Jerusalem? They just made Solomon king. He rode in on your father's mule, and and he's sitting on the throne of Israel. (gasps) What happened? They all got scared and left. You see, sometimes when we go off on our own plans, on our own expectations, we can kind of warp the truth in our mind to to make us believe that what we think we're doing is really right when it's really wrong. And we can justify and we can rationalize just about anything, can't we? You can find that. You can find a reason. If you want to find a reason to do something, you're probably going to find a reason to do it. You, want, you can find an excuse for doing it. You can, make, you can convince yourself of anything if you talk to yourself long enough. But does what I'm doing, is it what, does it line up with the word of God? And is, it, is it drawing me away from God? Is it drawing me closer to God? Is it leading me into sin? Or is it leading me closer to the Lord? Where, where is it really taking me? Is it going against God's will? Because this was. This was. For Adonai, this was going against God's will. So he's kind of got a bad attitude there. And she says, well, what do you want? In verse 16, now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she says to him, say it. And he said, I'm in verse 17, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as a wife or as wife. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Now, who, who's, who, who's this? Who's Abishag? Anybody remember who Abishag is? Last week, we saw it at the very beginning, David was getting elderly. He wasn't able to keep himself warm. They went out looking for a young girl that would be his, his maidservant, and she was going to take care of him, and we, she was going to lay in bed with him and keep him warm. We talked about how that was a medical prescription and how the Bible clearly says that he did not know her sexually. And it referring to there was no sexual relationship with her, but apparently she was a very lovely woman and a very, perhaps a very attractive woman. And all of a sudden, here comes Adoniah, and he says, hey, listen, can I have her for a wife? Come on, come on Bathsheba, go, go ask David if I can have her for a wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, in verse 18, I'll speak for you to the king. Verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went to the king Solomon to speak to him for Adoniah, and the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother, so she sat at his right hand. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Sets a throne on his right hand for his mother. You can see the closeness there, the the respect there that he obviously cared deeply for, probably didn't know too much of his father, knew more of his mother. Verse 20, she says, then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Don't refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adoniah, your brother, as a wife. And King Solomon answered, and he said to his mother, now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adoniah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he's my older brother. For him and for Abathar, the priest, and for Joab, the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adoniah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me as he, as he promised, Adoniah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. You say, wait a minute, Rob, that doesn't really make sense. He just asked for a wife. I mean, 
what, what, what's so wrong with what, what, what's so wrong with what he did? Well, when David would have received Abishag as his servant, it's likely that she would have also become one of his concubines. And even though there may not have been a sexual interaction with them as a concubine, David and his family would have been responsible for supporting her and for taking care of her. And she would have received, you know, sort of that, that, that pension, if you will. She would have been cared for uh, financially for, for her service to the king. When, when Adoniah comes and says, can I have her? He's essentially taking one of the king's concubines. He's taking one, something that belonged to the king. Bathsheba, maybe she sees it, maybe she doesn't. Whatever reason, she brings it to, to Solomon. Solomon. Solomon, in his wisdom, says, wait a minute, there's something going on here. He's up to something. There, he's trying to let everyone know that he now has what belonged to King David. He's trying to set himself up as king over this. He's trying to, he's, he's trying to take the, he's, he's going to make a move to take the nation back. Remember what, what he said to him previously in chapter 1, verse uh, 52. Solomon said, Solomon said to Adoniah, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. You see, Adoniah, after, his, after he'd come against uh, Solomon, after he'd tried to take the nation, went to Solomon and said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, we, you know have, have mercy on me. And Solomon said, listen, if you prove yourself worthy, you don't have nothing to worry about. Don't worry about a thing. But if wickedness is found in you, you're going to be put to death. So as he makes this request to David, or, or Solomon, I've got to get the names right tonight. As he makes the request to Solomon, Solomon realizes this is not just a simple request for a wife. This is a play at the kingdom. This is the wickedness that he sees in Adonijah, and he has him put to death. He has him put to death. Now, in verse 26, And to Abathar, the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Now Abathar, Abathar is an interesting character. Abathar was the priest. He also had defected with Adoniah. With Joab and Abathar had gone over to, 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 to help make Adoniah become king. But Abathar had been with David a long time. A long time. Remember when David fled from King Saul and he went down to, uh, to the tabernacle and he didn't have anything to eat and he didn't have any weapons and he met the priest there and he said, hey, I, you know, is there a sword around here? And he said, well, Goliath's sword's here. You can have that one. Well, I kind of need some food. Well, the only thing we have is the showbread. And David took the showbread and then he, he left. And then there was a guy there who went and told King Saul where that David was. And Saul came down and he killed all the priests. One of the priests got away. His name was Abathar. And he ran and he told David. And he said, David said, stay with me and I'll take care of you. And Abathar has been with David that whole time. The whole time he'd been with David, he'd been loyal to David. He'd been right there alongside of David. And then all of a sudden as David gets old, well, his loyalty is questioned because all of a sudden he goes against what the Lord has said. It's putting Solomon on the throne, and he goes over to Adonijah's camp along with Joab. Joab and Abathar join with Adonijah to try to make Adonijah king. And uh, Solomon here realizes, you know what, that's going to be a problem for me. That's going to be a problem. 
So he tells him, he removed Abathar from being priest, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh, that his family wouldn't continue in the priesthood. And it happens. It, 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 again, the word of the Lord being fulfilled. You know, how, if, it's, if, if we can watch it fulfilled from one generation to the next, and, and sometimes even two and three generations away, why at all do we doubt it? When it says, seek first the kingdom of God, why is that so difficult for us to do that? We, we, want, we read the word, here it is, being fulfilled again. Here it is, being fulfilled again. Here it is, being fulfilled again. Seek first the kingdom of God. No, I'm worried, God. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I can't make this happen. I can't make it. Stop worrying. Seek first the kingdom of God. All in his righteousness and all of these other things, everything else that you need to make it through life and accomplish his will will be given to you. Isn't that a great thing? You say, wait a minute, Rob, but you don't understand my past. I don't care what your past is. The promises of God still hold true. Well, I haven't been seeking. Well, start seeking first and allow the promises of God for your life to come true. Watch him be there for you. All right. Uh, verse 29. And King Solomon was told Joab. Oh, we know who Joab is, right? Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. So Benaniah uh, went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, nope, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king saying, thus says Joab, and thus he answered to me. So just to, before I tell you, before you see what happened, unless you read ahead, Joab runs to the tabernacle, he throws himself on the altar. That's what somebody innocent could do to, before, they, before they were killed in case they didn't have a fair trial. Can, they can appeal to the king. They're throwing themselves on the altar. They're holding onto the horns. We saw that last week as well. And that's where Joab is. And he says, come out. He says, no, I'm not coming out. All right, well, let me go tell the king Solomon, see what he says in uh, verse uh, 31. Then the king said to him, do as he said, strike him down there, bury him. That you may take away from me and from my house, from the house of my father, the innocent blood which Joab shed. You know, it's an interesting thing. Joab shed innocent blood years ago, years before this, and now the judgment's coming. You know, don't mistake the delayed judgment of God for, for no judgment. The delayed judgment of God is allowed to give us a time to repent. And there's no repentance in Joab's life. And he's, now he's going, to, he's going to, his own life, it'll cost him his own life. It'll cost him his own life here. And he says he killed him by the sword, Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. Their blood, therefore, shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and he struck and he killed him and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army. And the king put Zadok, the priest, in his place of Abathar. Now, well, we've seen how he has to deal with family. We've seen how he has to deal with uh, previous generals. And I'm sure there's a lesson for someone in here who would be taking over a new job as a supervisor. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest killing anybody, but <laughs> you certainly need to put the right people in place. And Shimei in verse 36. And the king sent and he called for Shimei. Remember Shimei? He's the one that was cursing David. And then when David came back, said, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. That's him. Shimei said to him, 
uh, called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. Don't go out from there anywhere, for it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, The saying is good, and my lord the king has said, So your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So what's taking place there is the king Solomon calls Shimei and says, Listen, you know, I realize that, you know, we're we're not friends here. We're not getting along real well. You had a problem with my dad. I understand you're from the family of Saul, but but I need to keep an eye on you. So I'm going to tell you what. Here's a piece of ground in Jerusalem. You build a house there. You you don't go across the Brook Kidron. The the Kidron Valley on the east side of Jerusalem. You you don't go across there. You don't go up to the Mount of Olives. You're not allowed up there. No no more traveling that direction. You stay here in Jerusalem. And the day that you do, he makes it very clear, the day that you do, you're going to die. And Shimei says, the saying is good. As my Lord the King has said, I like it here in Jerusalem. I'm good. I'll stay here. If it means staying alive, I'll stay here. Now look at verse 39. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Akish, the son of Maka, king of Gath, and they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and he went to Akish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath, and Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. And you had to cross the brook Kidron, by the way, to get to Gath. Then the king sent and he called for Shimei. And he said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day that you go out and you travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? Uh, well, uh, the king said moreover to Shimei, you know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and he struck him down and he died. Thus the kingdom, of, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Interesting chapter, don't you think? Lots going on there. Uh, we're certainly seeing Solomon exercise his, his uh, king muscles, if you will. He's certainly given commands. He's, this one's going to be okay. But you also see some wisdom in Solomon, don't you? We're going to know that next, next week he's going to ask for more wisdom. But we see the fact that he realized that, um, uh, he realized that his brother was trying to take the kingdom. He, he, we see the mercy and he says to Shimei, listen, just stay here. Just don't go over there. But yet at the same time Shimei does, but we also see, the, see Solomon stand as the judge and says, listen, I, this was the deal we made. Now it's, you, know, you, you, brought, you, you, you brought a lot of bad things on my father David, and now you're going to pay for that because you broke, you didn't have to pay for it. I gave you a way not to pay for it. In other words, he says to him, if you live within these parameters, you'll be blessed. But if you go outside of these parameters, it's going to cost you your life. You know, stay, stay, if you stay in the city of Jerusalem, don't travel anywhere, you're good. But what does he do? Well, yeah, Rob, but he only went out because his slaves ran away. I mean, can't a guy go back? No, that wasn't part of the deal. The deal was you stay here, you don't go out there. And the day that he does, it'll cost your life. And that's exactly what takes place. And we see that unfolding here. And as I look at all this, I, I can't help but think, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a party that says, well, gee, why is all this in there? 
And there's part of me that says, you know, I, I, I love the fact that the promises of God are coming true. We see that happening here. But I also see that the judgment of God is just. You know, that, that it, does, it doesn't go unpunished. It, it, you know, there, there's a time in there for repentance. There's a time to be obedient. But yet as, as these men, have, they've made these bad decisions one after another. And even with Joab, there's a, it's going to cost you your life. You know, and as I look at it, I just think, man, how does that apply to our life? How, how does that, you know, we're not living in a dispensation of judgment. And I'm really glad about that. I'm really glad that we're not, you know, I mean, certainly there's consequences for our sin. But we're living in what's called a dispensation of grace. We have the grace of God available to us, but it doesn't mean that if you're not covered by the blood of Christ that you won't face judgment someday because that's still the same God is still on the throne. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. He hasn't changed. It's the same God. We're seeing seeing a gracious side of him, but at the same time, you look and go, wow, I don't think I'd want to mess around. I I think I want to take the things of God seriously. After all, the promise that Solomon had if you'll, if you'll do the things of God, you'll be blessed forever. Isn't that what we want? But yet so often we're sidetracked by the world because the world says, hey, if you'll do it this way, if you'll do it that way, it'll be more fun. You'll, you'll be more enjoyable. You'll like it better. It'll be, it'll be a lot more fun if you do it the way the world says. Not true. It's a lie. You'll, you'll be more blessed if you, even today if you follow the way of God, the way of the Lord. Follow the way of God. I don't know that. One, I don't know how how somebody how we got convinced that the Bible has a bunch of stuff that's that's no, that's going to make us no fun. How how we haven't got convinced that the Bible is you know it's going to ruin all the fun that we would we might have. It's just the opposite. I have a lot more fun in my life now watching God work, watching God do things than I ever had. But when I wasn't following God, I have a, I, I, my life is much more blessed now than it ever was when I wasn't following the Lord. So if you're not following the Lord, it's time to start. If, you, if you've gotten off track, it's time to get back on track. You know, if you've, if you've been away, it's time to recommit. It's time to, to get right and, and do what you need to do to get back with the Lord. Because if the, it, maybe you've been living in sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. Listen, the consequences of sin might not be poured out right now, but they're coming. Maybe you're in a time of repentance where God says, hey, I'm waiting for you to repent. I'm waiting for you to come back to me. I'm waiting for you to turn from your sin. To stop doing it and turn away, turn the other direction. And then I can heal it, and I can, I can use it, I can move on, I can, I can bring you through that. But we continue in sin, if we continue in that way, we can be sure that judgment's coming. We can be sure that the consequences of our sin's coming. You know, I don't think the blood of Christ was shed on the cross just so that we could keep sinning. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound, Paul would say, certainly not. Certainly not. That's not how we want to be. So before we close tonight, let's just take a few minutes. And uh, I don't know, maybe different parts of the message may have touched you. Maybe you have to write a few more notes. But let's just take two or three minutes and go before the Lord quietly in prayer on your own. And just pray. See what the Lord has to say to you tonight. Uh, So Father, we just come before you now. Lord, we've studied your word. And we ask that you just show us what part applies to our heart. Show us what part of it tonight applies to our life. Where do we fit in? How do, how, do we, how do we grow from this? How do we grow closer to you? How do we grow spiritually? How do we grow? Lord, is it maybe we've been worrying. It's time to stop worrying and seek you first. Maybe we haven't been seeking you at all. Maybe it's time to start seeking you. Or maybe we're in a transition just like Solomon is. Wherever you're at, just take a few minutes. Go before the Lord quietly.
I'm sure he'll meet you there.